Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Lovely to see you online. We're glad that you could be with us uh, this morning as well. Who got up a little bit early this morning? Yeah, a few people got up. Who got up to watch uh, the, the Samoan uh, Australia League final? Anyone see that? Yeah, we can be proud. Got some proud uh, Samoan supporters in the house. If you support Australia, we still love you, but we disagree with you. Uh, but it's been, a, uh, it's, been a great, it's been a great couple of weeks in New Zealand sports, hasn't it? That's the extent of my sports knowledge. So uh, rapport built, consider that we now uh, love each other and know each other very well uh, and, and we can get into the Word of God. Yeah, we all agree? That's good, because literally I'd, just, I'd run out of things uh, to say otherwise. Well, uh, Morena, it's, it's lovely to see you here today. My name's Jono, if we haven't met yet. And uh, it's actually, it's, it's my pleasure for the last, I think it's almost been 12 weeks, which is the longest series that I think I've ever been in. We've been talking about this idea of what works, right? And obviously one of the things that we've found works is very long series, right? Very long series works really well, especially for the preachers. Can you just... You can just, you know, bed in and, uh, and get used to some stuff. But it's been great. We actually, we didn't kind of intend for the series to go quite this long. But it's been great. The feedback that we've been getting from people as we kind of talk about it more and more every week. It's been, oh, man, this, this has really landed for me. Or a couple of weeks, this thing that's been unpacked is, has really hit for me. And so we thought, oh, we don't want to move from this too quickly just out of kind of habitual, oh, it's been four weeks and we go to something else. So let's just, if there are more things that we think work, let's just keep on talking about them. And, and it's really, it's been our our prayer that it's been it's been helpful for you but also today I am mindful that we've talked about you know in 12 weeks we talked about a lot of things that work yeah there are a lot of things that, that fit in there and hopefully you've been encouraged and you've taken little bits and pieces to apply or, or to stop in your own life maybe it's ways to forgive or to be in community or to to read your bible or to spend time with God or to pray but sometimes this thing happens right where Em and I get the kids to sleep before it's time for us to go to sleep, which is a, a miracle in and of itself. And, and, and there's a, a moment in time where, like, hey, we should, we should do something. We should relax. We used to, in, in that kind of time, go for a walk. I, I did suggest it, and then was like, well, what about the kids? I was like, oh, if they're asleep. They'll be fine, right? She's like, no, that's, Johnny, that's bad parenting. I was like, see, this is why this is a team sport. This is why we work together well. We cannot leave the kids at home. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, they're four and two, right? So it's probably inappropriate to leave them slumbering and go for a walk. I wasn't meaning to go, like, really far, just like a little walk around. Anyway, right? And so walking is off the, off the, off the table, unless it's pacing in circles around our backyard, which we do for other reasons, right? Usually we leave the kids inside, and we go for a pace, uh, but we're like, what are we going to do? Hey, let's, let's watch some TV. Yeah, and so we, we bring up Netflix or one of the other like two trillion different streaming platforms that now exist. And, and we start doing that thing. We're like, hey, let's look for something to watch. And we bring it up and immediately we are confronted with just, uh, like it seems ungrateful, but just too many options. Anyone know that feeling? And, and, and so we start kind of looking through and we're, we're playing trailers and we're playing this trailer and we're playing that trailer. And, and then, you know, I, I like to be well informed. So I'm starting to look up reviews for the show because I don't want to watch, you know, like this is the one night this year that the kids have gone to sleep before midnight. So like, let's invest it well. That's an exaggeration. They sleep quite well, but it's funnier if I say they don't. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, and so we get there and, and, and then we're, we've got some ideas. And so we make a spreadsheet, right? And we come up with pros and cons of the different. That's not true. But it is funny that some of you believed that that's true. Right, you're like John. I can see you doing that. It's so funny, and we and we're going through trailers, and then like it's it's 
probably time to go to bed, eh? And so we get to the end of the night and we've watched nothing except a whole bunch of, of trailers. We've engaged with nothing except a whole bunch of, of potentials because there's just too many options. Can anyone relate with that feeling? We want to avoid that feeling in this series, yeah? That, that we kind of come together and we, we talk about all of these good ideas, all of these ways that work, all of these things that you can start doing or, or stop doing. And it just seems like there's too many things. And so as a result, you choose nothing. Or, or maybe you've heard all of these, these things that are good and you don't feel like you're doing any of them. So you just kind of leave the series feeling, feeling bad. And, and so today as we round out the series, our intent is not for that to happen. If that's the space that you're in, hopefully by the, the end of, of today, you're not in that space any longer. And so really what I'd like to do is I'd like to finish today by revisiting one idea. And there's no, no points to anyone if you can guess which one uh, it is, right? But, but I think if you're unsure where to start or you need to, to focus in on one thing, hopefully uh, this helps. A while ago, I spoke for three weeks on the idea of Sabbath, right? On the idea of, of resting, resisting, and, and rejoicing. And, and really, I, I took some time to intentionally camp there because I think the reality is for, for many of us, we're actually just too busy to follow Jesus, what I mean by that is we might trust Jesus, we, we might love Jesus, but we're too busy to actually shape our lives around his, his teachings. We're too frantic to, to follow in his ways, but, but how Jesus lived is a way that works. You know, John Mark Comer, he says in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. See, there's this confronting thing where we think, man, I want to follow after Jesus, but I'm just not quite sure how I fit that into all of what I do. And so maybe that's the space that you're in. You've heard of all of these ideas that, that work, and you're like, these are all great things, and I've got nowhere to put them. Then I want to encourage you, maybe a place that you can start is in Sabbath, is in resting. And, and when I initially talked about this, I said, man, we don't want to put anything else onto your plate. We want to help you to create some space on your plate some space that actually you can do the things that, that you deeply desire to do. And so I wonder, when you think of Sabbath, when you think of this idea of, of slowing down, of resting, of celebrating, both because of the rhythm in us and, and as a way of resisting the innate nature of the world, always wanting more. But my question for us today is, how's that going? Right, like it's been a number of weeks, it's, it's been over a month since we kind of laid out this idea and, and put out the invitation slowly over three weeks time. But, but if you're anything like me, maybe you slowed down for a bit. Maybe you found some rest for a couple of weeks, you had a few good weeks and, and then life got busy. I know for me personally, right, I, I preached a series on Sabbath and, and then uh, I traveled up and down the country. I, I had an exam. We shifted the kids from one preschool to another and we moved house, right? And so in the space of that, some of my well-intended ways of living got a little bit adjusted through no kind of choice of my own. In, in the midst of that, some of the things that I, I, I want to do get moved. And, and I want to say, if that's been your experience, where you start something and you're well-intended, and then you never mean to stop it, but life kind of comes along and it adjusts the course, and then you look back just in this moment, and you're like, actually, I really did intend to create some more space for God in my life, but, but somewhere along the way that kind of dropped off. I want to say it's okay that life happens, but today I want to provide you with an opportunity. Maybe a moment to stop and to recenter and to reassess, to ask yourself, where am I and where would I like to be? 
As we finish this series, as Penny said, hopefully it's more than just a, a bunch of ideas that, that are kind of entertaining or, or we nod along. And, and we don't want to be in that place where the ideas and the presentation are so good that we can leave the room feeling just by listening we've done something. I want to say we want to com- present this as an, as, in, in a compelling way as possible. But doing it is never in the room. Doing it is what we do after the room. Doing it is what we do when we carry the sermon with us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me one final time uh, to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 to 3, and then we'll get into it. It says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. One last time, when you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. Guys, we've already said, we thank you that you are here with us. God, I pray as, as we look one last time at this idea of Sabbath, as we reflect on the things that, that work in our life and what we might be able to do with them, that today it wouldn't be my ideas. God, it wouldn't be me convincing us of anything, but, but that you would meet with us. God, that, that you would encourage us And God, where we can do something, we would know that we are enabled and empowered by your presence to do it. God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So so Genesis 2 here says God blessed the Sabbath, right? It says that God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, if you've been in church for kind of any period of time, you've probably heard that word before, holy, right? We don't say it necessarily a whole lot from from the stage, but maybe you've heard it in a song, maybe you've heard it in in a prayer, this this word holy. And and I want to acknowledge that holy as kind of a word, as a phrase, as an idea, it carries a whole lot of religious connotations, carries a whole lot of weight. Maybe it's good weight and you're like, yeah, holy is a beautiful thing, but maybe it's bad weight for you. Maybe it's a word that's that's made you feel less than, that's made you feel shame and, and guilt and not inspired you to, to what you can be. But, but it's interesting, this word holy here, I want to look at it because there's something very interesting going on. Right? In, in the ancient world, gods were found in places. Right? God's little g, they were found in places. If you wanted to, to meet with a god, you went to a holy mountain or, or to a holy temple or to a holy cave, and the gods, they lived in these holy places. But but here we see in Genesis 2 that God, the God, Yahweh, creator God, is is different. You might go to a place of of worship to worship God, but God isn't confined to that place. God isn't stuck in that place. God doesn't live in that place. God doesn't create a holy place. He doesn't say, hey, I've finished making the world, and now I've made a special mountain, and this is where I'm going to camp out, and if you want to come and see me, it's going to be a good time, right? Instead, what God does is he makes a holy day. You know, it's interesting, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says, Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. He says they are architecture in time, which is, it sounds very beautiful and and kind of flowery language, but but really what does that mean? It it means that for, for this God, for the one true creator God, the entire universe is his temple, if, if he's God, if he made it all, if he's truly who we believe him to be, then there is nowhere that he's not. And, and, and so to find this God, you don't need to climb a special mountain or, or travel to a shrine. He's all around you. Instead, what we get to do is we need to, we have the opportunity to set aside the time to come awake to his presence, to come awake to the fact that he is with us, to come alive to, to his presence. God makes a holy day. He makes holy time. 
which is kind of cool. We're like, yeah, that's cool. Our God doesn't make a place. Your God sucks. They make places. Our God makes a day. We win, right? Done. But what do you do with that? What do you do with this God that makes a holy day? What exactly does it even mean to make a day holy? Well, the, the Hebrew word for holy is this word kadosh, right? Up there, for all of you who are uh, speaking biblical Hebrew, there it is. And it, and it literally means uh, unique or special or uncommon. A, a theological definition could be set aside for God's special purposes. And, and now we, we tend to think of holiness as like a moral descriptor, don't we? As a way of saying that something or, or someone is, is good or is evil. And in a sense, it is that, but, but holiness isn't just a moral word. We see this pretty clearly in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament, because we see that there are holy pots and pans, right? There are, there are holy utensils for the tabernacle. And I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I would suggest that a fork or a knife cannot be good or evil. Yeah, sometimes we feel like it when we go to chop that carrot with that dull knife and it just doesn't do it. And we're like, I curse you, you evil knife. And we throw it away, right? I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. You're like, Johnny, just sharpen your knives. It's a simple solution to a simple problem, right? Simple problems for simple people. Uh, but, but utensils, things cannot really be good or evil, can they? We agree, right? We're building consensus. That's good. We're preaching together. I love it, right? So these things cannot be good or evil, and yet they're, they're considered as holy, not because they're moral, but instead because they are set apart for God's normal purposes. If something is holy, it's set apart for God's purposes. Or if it's normal, then it's just used for, for, for normal life. Here's an illustration that I heard of that, that landed with me and which I could relate for. Growing up, I remember my grandparents had a set of fine china. It looked a little bit like this. It didn't look like this because this is actually Gucci china. You might not have known that you can get Gucci China. I didn't either until I Googled fine China for a, a, a description, and then I fell down a rabbit hole looking at Gucci China, right? So this is, uh, this is Gucci China, and uh, you can get it in this lovely color here. You can get it in green, and you can get it in yellow, and it's called the Herbarium Series. And uh, for two plates, it only costs 500 US dollars. So it's a bargain, and I ordered four, right? That's not true. Not true at all. Uh, but my parents, uh, my grandparents did not have, much to my dismay, Gucci fine china, but they did have fine china, right? And, and the fine china that my grandparents had, it, it was kept in a special uh, piece of furniture called a hutch dresser. Does anyone remember hutch dressers? Maybe you've still got one, right? For those of you who are, are yet to be informed of the beauty of a hutch dresser, a hutch dresser is basically like a normal set of shelves, but wrapped around it is some glass so that little children, this is my assumption, cannot come along and break the nice things that is inside the hutch dresser, right? And so, and so my grandparents would put their fine china in the hutch dresser on display. Like you could see it and it was beautiful. And you would walk past and go, ah. And you knew it, it was a special moment. You knew it was a special day when you came to, to grandma and grandpa's house and the table was set not with the normal plates, but the fine china was out. You were like, oh, this is something special is happening. This is a, this is a special day, Right? I can remember one time when I was at my grandparents' house and I was playing in the other room and, and I was kicking around a ball, which is already a dangerous thing to do at a grandparents' house, especially inside. But, you know, you know me, I like to live dangerously. Uh, and so I was kicking around the ball and obviously I'm very athletic, so it was with extreme accuracy and just great strength behind my leg, even as a, as a young chap, right? Anyway, it's enough about me. And, and I kicked the ball 
And I remember it, it kind of going out of the room just through the, the sliding doors. It was just a crack open and bouncing off the leg of the dining room table and heading towards the hutch dresser. And it kind of came towards and it hit just ricocheted off the side of the hutch dresser. And then all of the fine china in the hutch dresser did that thing that that fine china does when you even just look at it and it just starts to wobble. Anyone know that feeling? And you're watching and I'm watching it wobble and I'm standing there, I'm like, there's nothing, like I can't get into the hutch dresser because it's locked to stop me from breaking it. There's nothing I can do. And I'm watching and it's just teetering back and forth, back and forth, back. And I'm still here today so you all know that it didn't break, right? There's evidence by me being alive. But that moment, even as like a four or five-year-old, I knew that there was something special about that china, that it was set aside for a different purpose, that it was different than just the everyday, easily replaceable, less beautiful china. My grandparents' china was holy, right? Not holy that God was like, hey, this is better china, but holy in that it was set aside for a special purpose. It wasn't used in daily life. See, God seems to be implying that, that Sabbath is, is like fine china, that it's holy, that it's set apart, that it's special, that it's different than everything else. Moses describes it in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. He says to the, to the Israelites as he's giving the, the commandments, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy day, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. I want you to notice that phrase there, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That, that can be translated as set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside not just for rest or for celebration, but for God. To, to put it another way, we could say this, the Sabbath is a day for worship. Now, now, when we hear worship, when we hear that word, maybe, maybe we think of, of singing, maybe we think of what we just did when the band led us so well in a, in a time, in a moment of, of worship, and, and that's an example of worship, but I want to say worship is so much more than that. We're quite intentional in how we talk to, to try and talk about worship as being more than just a type of singing, but that giving can be worship, that, that serving can be worship, that how you live in community can be worship, that, that our everyday lives can be acts of worship. Because in the biblical sense, worship is simply to orient and reorient your entire life around God. Right? It's to, to lay your entire life before Him in love, and it's to deepen our surrender to His love. And one of the ways that we can do that is through worship by singing, right? By collectively turning our attention really in the form of a shared sung prayer. That's what sung worship is. And we can do that collectively. And it's a beautiful and I think it's an important thing to do. Something changes in us when we do that. I know for me, there have been times in my life where I have struggled to draw close to God and coming into an environment in which a family of faith is drawing closer to God helps me when I feel like I can't do it on my own. There's something special about singing and worship, but, but we, we don't just worship God in our singing. We also worship God in giving our time and giving our resources, our attention, our affection to God, yielding our, our will over to God. Anything that we do to send to God and to direct our hearts in love to His glory and His goodness can be a form of, of worship. And, and, and so, yes, Sabbath can be a day to stop, and it can be a day to rest, and it can be a day to, to refill our tank, and, it, and it's a day of delight, and it's a day to, to celebrate. But above all, it's a day to contemplate the good news that God has given His life to us in Jesus. 
if we do all of the rest, if we stop and we rest and we delight without it directing us back to God, we have missed the entire point. The Sabbath at its heart is a day for worship. And that's cool, John, but like why? Why does that, why does that matter? Right, like I'm already here on a Sunday. It feels like you're asking a lot of me more worship into my time. Like it's just, it's getting, you know, like, come on, there's only so much time. You were telling me that Sabbath was going to free up my time. Now you're telling me I have to worship on Sabbath. I don't know what that looks like. I'm feeling some expectations here. Like what, what does it mean? What does it look like? Why should I do it? I want you to take a moment and consider this question. What do you worship? And I mean to consider it, it honestly. What do you center your life around? And, and I don't want you to answer it in what should you worship or, or what would you like to worship or, or not even why do you worship the things that you do, but just what do you worship? You know, I, I came across a quote uh, when I was preparing this message from the social critic David Foster Wallace. And, and it's in a famous commencement address that he gives. And he says this about worship. David Foster Wallace wasn't really a Christian. He's, he's most well known as a, a best-selling author. And, and then he provided a bunch of kind of social commentary. He's considered one of the greatest thinkers of, of our time. And, and this is what he says about worship. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of god or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive if you worship money and things if they are where you tap real meaning in life then you will never have enough never feel you have enough if you worship your own body and beauty and sexual lure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. If you worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they're unconscious. They are a default setting. They're the kind of worship that you just gradually slip into day after day. See, like I said, David Foster Wallace wasn't a, a theologian, which I think perhaps makes his insight even more poignant that we worship what we trust. We worship what we look to for value, for identity, for, for hope. And as David Foster Wallace says, almost everything that we do this to, almost everything that we can worship eats us alive. We put our faith in it, and rather than it rewarding our faith, rather than finding peace in it, rather than finding hope in it, rather than finding life in it, it, it destroys us, and often we destroy it. The biblical term for this is idolatry. Right When we make something other than God, God, and the Bible tells us again and again, both in illustration and in just straight up saying it, that the ultimate result of idolatry is pain because only God can handle the weight of Godhood. So I wonder today, what do you worship? And, and are you sure? See, Sabbath is a rhythm to help us to worship. But, but more than that, Sabbath is a rhythm not just to help us to worship, but it's to help us to worship what we most deeply desire to worship, not what we most strongly feel to worship. I think there's an important distinction there. There's a difference between our will, our desire, and our feelings. 
We, we can live by one or the other, but not really by both. And, and in our modern day and age, a refrain like, do what you feel is, is common. And it, it kind of makes sense on the, on the surface. You're like, yeah, when I do what I feel, that, that feels good. And my heart is a good thing. And so I should follow my heart. But, but is it really helpful? Does it really work if we always act and behave and decide in line with our feelings? You know, I want to suggest that the, the biggest decisions that you make in life are not decisions motivated primarily by feelings, or at least the, the best decisions that you make are not motivated primarily by feelings. If you're married today, I hope that getting married is a decision that you consider to be a good decision, right? Uh, if that's not the case, come and see me afterwards, and uh, we will go through some marriage enrichment with you, and we will help you to find that being married is the best uh, decision that you made, right? That's our prayer for you. We think marriage is a great thing. But, but I want to suggest that when you get married, you don't just get married because of feelings. Feelings are definitely involved, but you get married because of a will. It's something that you have considered. It's something that hopefully you have prayed about. And there are feelings involved. Feelings are important, but it's more than that. Because when you are married, there is likely going to be a time that comes along when you might not always feel like being married. And so if you made your decision based solely in feelings, then the moment that you no longer feel like doing it, then you abandon it, right? The moment that you're no longer feeling like doing it, you let go of it. You just stop. Unless you made a decision based on something more than, than feelings, and then maybe your will and your intention count for more. See, does it always work to do what you, you feel? What if what we feel to do in a moment and what we most deeply desire, not just in that moment, but on the whole, are different things? What if you get sick, right? And, and the treatment for your sickness makes you feel even worse, do you give up on that treatment because you don't feel like it, or do you persist because your deeper desire beyond how you feel in that moment is to get better? Our will and our feelings, we can make our decisions based on one or the other, but often not really both. And the Sabbath is an acknowledgement, sometimes I'm not going to feel like worshiping. Sometimes I'm not going to feel like worshiping, or sometimes I will feel like worshiping, I just won't feel like worshiping God. Sometimes I will feel like, like worshiping money or status or, or any number of good things like family or fun. Or, or, but the, those ways, worshiping things that are not God only leads to pain and, and death. See, my deep desire is to worship in a way that brings life. This is one of the many reasons that, that for most of us, Sunday is a great day to Sabbath. For, for over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday were, were basically synonymous, Sabbath and Sunday worship. It was only recently that they were really separated, but they, they go together because being in community and worshiping together helps us to do what we want to do, even when we don't feel like it. It helps us to, to continue uh, in, the, in the direction that we intend to, to move in, even when we don't feel like moving in that direction. And, and it's been in the co-opting of Sabbath into the weekend, and I'm not anti-weekend, but, but in this kind of change of how we view the world that we've lost something special of the nature of a day to worship, to remember, and to recenter. Again, as John Mark Comer says, we've, we've created not a, a Sabbath, but, but something kind of Sab-ish. It, it's, it's a day off. It's a day in which we, we go shopping or we have a walk or we eat brunch or we play sports, none of which are, are bad, but, when, but they can't be God, right? And so we take these good things, and if we take these good things and we worship them, if we orient our lives around them, they'll disappoint us. 
quite simply, Moses says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Jewish people don't talk about practicing Sabbath, but they talk about keeping the Sabbath, meaning keeping it holy. They, they, they call this something like sanctifying the day or, or set apart, setting apart the day, treating it as, as special and as unique. And I think there's an opportunity for us to realize that we can either sanctify the Sabbath, we can either sanctify some of our time and keep it holy by saying, God, I'm going to direct my attention towards you in this space by resting, by resisting, by, by rejoicing in you. God, I can either do that or we can use in the language of Scripture, again, a word that we don't love because it's got some connotations, but we can profane the Sabbath meaning that we can treat it as, as normal, and in doing so, we can devalue it and dishonor it, treat it just like any other day for doing as we please. Now, I say all of this not to, not to guilt trip anyone, not to, to make us feel guilty, not to kind of get us stuck in our shame of, oh man, I really, I haven't been creating a space of Sabbath, and, and, and it was just like a good idea, a way that works, but now, Jono, you're kind of saying it's a holy thing that we should do, and if I'm not doing it, I'm profaning it, and that's a big word that makes me feel a whole bunch of feelings, and so I'm just feeling kind of confronted, and so, Jono, now I'm going to do it, not really because I think it's a good idea, not because I want to, but just because I'm a little bit afraid. Not my goal, Right? But what I do want to say is I want to point out we can live however we want to live. We can choose whatever we want to choose. But to choose what we really truly want to choose, we need to be aware of what we're choosing. If we are choosing to keep the Sabbath holy, then that's great and we need to be aware of it. If we're choosing not to keep any time set apart for God, then we need to be aware of the repercussions of that as well. And again, we don't have to do anything, but there are ways that work. There are things that lead to life and ways that we can practice when we embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, and there are other ways to live, and we don't have to do anything, but if we are wise, maybe we will embrace the call to do a way that works. Because ultimately, this isn't actually about a day. It's not about a ritualistic, legalistic way of living. It's about your life. The Sabbath is a day of worship, but more than a day of worship, the Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship in all of the days of our life. See, I'm, I'm almost done, in fact, just as I get the band up. But to finish, I, I love this thought. Theologians point out that the Sabbath looks both backwards and forwards in time. Right? What, what I mean by that is, is it's an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden. When we Sabbath, when we rest, and when we rejoice, and when we resist the things that would shape us into something that we are not meant to be, it's, it's a taste of what, how things were meant to be before things were broken. When we spend that time with friends and family, just in company, not trying to accomplish anything or get anything done, but just rejoicing in the fact that, that there is love and there is goodness in the world, and resetting and in remembering that God is good and He's for us no matter what we do or do not do, that's a taste of how things were meant to be. But it's also a taste of how things will be. It's a taste of the restoration, the hope that we have of the new city, of the garden city, of the new Jerusalem. It's a taste of heaven. See, I would suggest when we gather together and we rest in God, when we celebrate, when we do the most beautiful things that bring us joy, when we worship God, that's not just a sign of salvation, it's a taste of salvation. It's a moment of heaven here and now, a taste of Eden in the middle of, of our everyday life. In other words, the Sabbath is a day for worship. And so the question, like I've said, isn't do you worship, it's what or who do you worship? And if we become like the things that we worship, as the wisdom tradition has long suggested, then what kind of person is your worship forming you into? 
If you take a moment to, to look at the trajectory of your life, to, to remember maybe who you were a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, and look at who you are now. How patient are you? How rested are you? How hopeful are you? How loving are you? Are you becoming more and more of the person that you want to become or are you becoming something else? And if you're becoming something other than maybe what God has intended for you to be, then maybe there is an opportunity to recenter your life worshiping something else. We are like what we worship and if we don't like who we're becoming, maybe we need to look at what we're worshiping because we all worship something. Whether we intend to or not, we will orient our lives around something. We will put our faith, hope, and love onto something. We will find identity, community, and a sense of meaning and purpose in something. We will pursue it. We will sacrifice for it, and we will discipline ourselves towards it. The question is simply, what do you worship? Not what should you worship, but what do you worship? And if if you're being honest with yourself, you don't love the answer. The good news is, is that you're not stuck there. You can change. God is always ready to be worshiped. We are always ready. There is something innate and waiting in us to worship Him. It just takes creating space. Maybe for you that looks like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start getting up a little bit earlier every morning just to create some time for me and God. Maybe it looks like, hey, I've been coming to to church sporadically, but I'm going to make Sundays a priority. I'm going to find myself in a community of believers to continue to build my faith. Maybe it looks like, hey, I'm not just going to come to church, but I'm going to create space on a Sunday that that I'm going to enjoy the day. I'm going to have people over for lunch, and it's not going to be a pressured lunch, but we're just going to enjoy a Sabbath meal together, and we're going to relax, and we're going to go for a walk. We won't leave the kids at home. We'll take them with us. And we're going to enjoy the day not for the sake of enjoying the day, but, but as a way of reminding ourselves of directing our attention towards God. And every moment we enjoy something in the day, we're gonna pause and take the intentional step of saying, God, thank you that you're good. Thank you for the beauty in the world. God, I rejoice in you. And it's our prayer that as we begin to do that, as we continue to do that, as we return to doing that, that the rest of the days of our week, we find ourselves noticing things and saying, God, thank you. We find ourselves finding things and saying, God, thank you. We find a, a yearning and a starting. Say, God, I, I, I want to get up early and I want to I get in my Bible. I want to read. I want to soak in this. I want to mull it over. I want to go back and, and I want to understand more of how I can digest what you have for me. I want to create space to listen to you. Whatever it might be, we've, in this series, hopefully given you a whole bunch of ideas that are insightful and, and are helpful. But at the end of these 12 weeks, what are you going to take away? And if nothing else, if you're simply looking for a place to start, maybe it's just considering how can you stop, rest, rejoice, and worship. And so now, church, what I'd love us to do is is quite simply that, to collectively worship, to direct our attention and to center ourselves again on God. I'm going to do that in two ways. The, The first way we're going to do that is hopefully as you came in this morning, you were given a little uh, communion. If you didn't get communion on the way in, if you uh, missed that, if you could just give us a wave and our host will be looking around and and we'd love to to get one of those to you. There's a couple of hands over here and up the back. As we bring those to you, those of you who've got communion, in a moment we're going to take communion together. And I think communion is such a great way of directing our attention back to God. 
It's, it's a great moment to be able to remind ourselves of the character of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. And as we take communion together, the band's gonna lead us in a song. It's a song, if you've, if you've been around for a while like me, you might remember. If it's new to you, then it's a good song. And I just wrote it on the weekend. It's not true. But it's called I Will Worship. And it, it simply speaks about the idea that, that we are worshiping God. It's as simple as simple can get. The chorus just says, and I will worship. I will worship. I will worship you. And what I'd love today is, is that that could be our prayer. Wherever we're at on this journey, however we might feel we're doing and directing our worship towards God. Maybe we're here today and we're aware I've been worshiping something else. And this is simply going to be your prayer to God. God, I want to worship you. Help me. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, God, I realize in the hustle and bustle of life, I've, I've let other things crowd in. I'm treating other things as God and I want to only worship you today. But as we take communion, why don't you reflect on two things? Number one, reflect on the worthiness of God. That all other things that we ask to be God don't work, but that Jesus came to show us a different way, a way that works. Jesus came to meet us in our need and that we worship Him not because of something we're trying to convince Him to do, but because of who He is, because of what He has already done, because He came to make a way where there was no way. And, and why don't you reflect on the work of the cross? That today, even in our worship, we don't have to do this on our own. That God can help us even in our worshiping Him, that we have, a, have His Spirit, we have a helper. And so even when we feel unable, even when we feel like worshiping something else, even when we are worshiping something else and we're aware that it's eating us alive, we can, we can reach out and say, God, I don't want to be worshiping this. I want to reorient my life. I need your help even in worshiping you. Church, why don't you stand to your feet with me? As I said in a moment, the band's going to lead us in the song. As they do in your own time, why don't you take communion? But just before that, I'd love to pray for us. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, today we stop. God, we recenter. We give ourselves enough time to be honest, to ask ourselves, what am I worshiping? What am I orienting my life around? What am I centering? What does my soul rely on? Where does my help come from? Where does my hope lie? And God, today, if it's anything but you, help us to know that you're waiting, that we're not convincing you. We are simply redirecting our hearts to the appropriate place. And today, as we take communion, as we take this cracker, as we take this cup, help us to remember you, to remember your body broken for us, to remember your blood shed for us, to remember that you are God, Emmanuel, that you would come to us to meet us in the middle of all that we are because you love us too much to leave us in our sin and our shame. God, where today maybe we're feeling overwhelmed with possibility, would you help one thing to rise to the front, one step we can take? God, above all, today as we worship, would we realize afresh as we declare our love for you, how much you love us. Church, when you worship with us in your own time, take communion. Let's direct our attention towards God. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.